As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. give all that we got, BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome to, or welcome back, to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Ken Schrader and Stephanie Bustin Nass. (laughs) Jed, how are you? Luke, I am well. In every sense of the word, thank God. So all is well here. I hope the same for you, my friend. Glad to hear that. I am well uh, myself. We are joined uh, for today's show by friend of the podcast, uh, longtime uh, senior editor at National Dragster, Mr. Kevin McKenna. Kevin, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine. We are uh, sheltered in place here in uh, lovely Avon, Indiana, about two miles from Lucas Oil Raceway. And so far, everybody's good, so I'm grateful for that. Absolutely glad to hear that. Same thing here. Kevin's sheltering in place in Indiana. I'm sheltered in place in Illinois. Jed, I assume you're still essential, still going to work? Yeah, I'm essential. The Caterpillar dealer's still wide open and uh, serving customers, but uh, you know we're doing it uh, a little differently than we have for the previous 30 years of my employment, but we're still getting it done, being, being a safe and, and uh, cautious as we can, but still uh, serving customers. You know, like I say, like we serve, you know, our power company, our water suppliers, our gas suppliers. So we'll be essential until 
there was an absolute lockdown, which I don't see coming. Right. No, and, and as much as I guess we could go on a diatribe about current events, to be completely honest, I got to the point where I kind of turned off the news, so I'm not very up to date. And honestly, like, it's just, it's, it's whatever we would share at this point would be pure speculation. I just think anybody that speaks with much conviction right now is a little off base. Like, I don't know if anybody really knows what's coming. And if, if they think they do, they're probably fooling themselves. Would you guys agree? <laughs> yes, wholeheartedly agree with that. So with that in mind, the reason that we've got Kevin on, we've actually got what I, I'm really excited about as being a, a fun episode of the podcast. And to be completely honest, one that we've probably, we're not real big on research here at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. This might be the most research we've ever done for an episode. And this goes for everybody here recording, uh, our producer Mark included. Kevin definitely had some contributions here, myself and Jed. And I thought it would is best right now to go ahead and shout out some others that uh, have played a role in gathering some of the information and data that we're going to talk about today specifically thanks to austin williams and michael beard for their contributions here but today's topic is the best sportsman drag racing season of our lifetime in the past we've talked about you know the the, the Mount Rushmore of sports and racing, but we're breaking it down into single year performances. And obviously there's some overlap between those two lists, but this started out as a list of, you know, like off the top of my head, I think I came up with maybe half a dozen, like these are definitely, you know, potential draft picks. And our, as I'm looking at our, at our Google sheet right now, we've got 30 different seasons on here. Right. So I don't know how yeah. we're going to parse this. And what's so interesting about it is you could, you could break it down in so many different ways. Like what is important to you? Is it pure domination? Is it races one? Is it championships? Is it winnings? And there's so many different ways to look at this. Like I think any of the 30 could probably be our number one pick, but what we had in mind here was the three of us are kind of going to roll through a draft of drafting. I guess if we could pick one season to call our own, what would be the best season that's ever been had on the sportsman level? And this obviously is going to encompass everything that we normally talk about here on the show, the NHRA classes from competition eliminator down, essentially uh, bracket racing on every level, whether it's local, regional, big dollar, where it includes some IHRA stuff, like everything that we would consider sportsman racing. And I'm, I'm the, the, the nerd in me is really excited about this. So. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I'm big on research, Luke. You know, I do a lot of research for the show. Some some yes. weeks I spend three or four minutes on it. Uh, you know, <laughs> it just totally dominates my time. And um, I I did add some to this uh, to this list of accomplished racers and great seasons. But um, I've learned a lot too. Uh, whoever did the research on this, the most research. Thank you, as Luke said earlier. But Wow, there are some very impressive seasons listed. And I know we didn't even scratch the surface. Uh, when you talk about our lifetime, I'm soon to be 49. So in my lifetime, there was a lot that I have no idea about. But from, say, the early to mid-90s on, somewhat familiar, some of this stuff from the 80s. But, uh, again, just looking at the list myself, I'm learning a lot about some amazing seasons that some people had. So looking forward to discussing it. And I know everybody's got their own opinions about 
great seasons, who had them, and what they consider a great season. But I think the listeners are going to enjoy this. Yeah, I agree. And to to your point, I'll uh, I'll specify at least on my end a little bit. I said my lifetime, my lifetime from when I started paying attention, which is probably <laughs> like the early nineties, right? <laughs> but that's where my picks will come from. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so Kevin is the guest. I, I just I feel as though we should just give him the honorary top pick, which is actually an inherent amount of pressure because I don't know how you pick one from this thirty. I've got my big board, um, but Kevin, let's let's throw it to you. you it is it is you, you can't pick one, and I'm not going to pick one. Um, but 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 I do. I mean, there's again the list of thirty, and even that, as as you noted, it's not an all encompassing list because I'm sure there's a lot that we didn't research deep enough. There's some guys that raced. 70s and 80s that did some amazing things um, but for, for for the purpose of our discussion I think we've got a pretty good handle on what's there the, the two that stand out uh, to me you know Peter Biondo's 792 point season almost a perfect season in stock eliminator nobody's ever done that nobody probably ever will do that um, and I'm quite certain those weren't the only events that Pete won that year and um, the, the other one that really amazes me, you know, Scotty Richardson had so many great years. Um, and, and, and so did Edmund, you know, the early nineties, they dominated everywhere and everything, whether it was big bucks, bracket racing events around home or doing the NHRA stuff. I mean, NHRA even had to change the rules of super street because those two basically went in there and annihilated the class. Um, so, so those, those are three drivers right there that, that I look at. Um, that that are probably deserving of of you know t- top honors here you know Ed, Edmonds ninety two season was you know I'd be interested to know the dollar total he won I'm I'm sure it is uh, amazing so we we can start there and then move on I believe okay so with the first pick of the draft you're taking the three best mm-hmm. seasons ever all right <laughs> well well it, it's call I, 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 <laughs> I didn't want to just hog the uh, you know the the, the spotlight here. But, but to be honest with you, th- those are three seasons that I think stand out a little bit above the rest, and it's hard to actually pick one that, that is definitive. So, sure. uh, you know, I'd basically be glad to hear a dissenting opinion on any one of them or why you think one might be better than the other two. Oh, man. Yeah, I – let's see. If I was to, to rank those – and I tell you what, before we even do that, let's just – touch a little bit more deeply on each of those seasons because Scotty's 94 always stood out to me because like a they were from my home track right Scotty and Edmund when I was growing up at Kennedale and b that's about the time that I really started paying attention to the sport on a national level and in 1994 you're talking about the 94 season for Scotty right uh, uh, correct super gas cha- national champion mm-hmm. at that time running entering two cars at the national level was not particularly common much correct yeah right much less less than it is now yes right uh you know at that time i think scotty and edmund and pat austin might be the only two that had doubled at at the national event level much less Mm -hmm. the world championship level um so that was a standout and i'd see that you added to that in 94 scotty also won a day at moroso which at that time, Moroso was the standalone, like it was the biggest bracket race in the country. So to cap off a dominating season in that way, um, Peter's 2005 Stock Eliminator World Championship, 792 points. 
you're more the historian on this, Kevin, but I believe that was it was one event away from being the perfect year. He won seven, right? I believe he had seven and seven wins and and, and a quarterfinal. Um, <laughs> yeah, in, in fact, I uh, when when we researched that for for a national dragster story, we found that it was Todd Hoven was the one guy that beat him. And I asked him, I said, "Do you remember what you did?" And, and he knew every single detail about the run. Of course, <laughs> and, and it might have even been a whole shot win, which which would have been really really uh, uncommon. But um. Yeah, Peter basically came, you know, two win lights or three win lights away from from running the table and, and putting the score over 800, which is just uh, defies description. And the third that you mentioned would be Scotty's brother, Edmund Richardson, 1992, two years mm -hmm. prior to Scotty's double world championship campaign. In 92, Edmund not only won the Super Comp, Super Comp World Championship in route to that, seven national event wins – three yeah. Lucas Oil Series event wins. And that was a time where there was no national champion in Super Street. In addition to his national championship in Super Comp, he was the Division Four champion in Super Street. And, oh, by the way, won the overall points total at Moroso the same season. <laughs> <laughs> and you also have to keep in mind, I mean, the Richardson brothers raced a lot, but not to the level of Dan Fletcher where they went to 20 events. Sure. You know, Edmund's seven wins probably came at maybe he ran 14 races or so, just sure. a guess. Um, yeah, they, they were pretty much uh, hitting the cash register every weekend. Jed, I don't know. I don't even – I'm kind of with Kevin. I don't know that you can pick one out of the three. I, uh, anything to weigh in on there for either of those three seasons? Well, to me, the, the – season that I had my eye on and, and a lot of it's because of my admiration for him but the 792 points in stock in 2005 to me is just ultra impressive uh, you know it's a it's a number we I hate to say ever or never or any of that but you know I'm just not sure we'll ever see that again Luke it's just it's so impressive and um, you know Peter was obviously entrenched in in that racing and and chasing those titles back then and but you know i just i just don't see that happening again when i look at what to me is a standout season in this unbelievable list of great seasons things that might not ever see again or, or maybe even probably won't ever see again that one just jumps out to me as as tops yeah, I actually think if the three of us pick, we might pick three different ones. Like if I had to choose here, I think I would go back to Scotty's 94 season just because like I feel like we're a little bit numb to the double world championship thing because recently Jeff Strickland's done it, Justin Lamb's done it. Strick did it 22 years <laughs> after Scotty did it, right? I mean, and nobody – I'm going to say nobody got close, like – it was just so far ahead of its time to have that level of success in, in two different categories. I think of these three, that one probably stands out to me. And, and to your point, Kevin, too, like, you could make a real argument for Edmonds 92 season. Like, they're all really solid picks. Yeah, and you also look at, you know, Scotty that year, you know, over 700, well, 7,300 under the old scoring system in Supercomp, you know, more than 1,000 points, 1,300 points more than the number two guy. So, so, so that, that one was certainly decided early, uh, you know, uh, he, that was domination. You know, you look at some of the big 700 point seasons, 
you know, back to Pete, you know, Pete has three of the, what, three of the top five seasons ever. Right. No. And that's, and I know it's a different time and like Scotty wasn't the first or the last person to win a Supergas world championship in a, in a back half car, you know, like not what would be considered today's Supergas car. But if you go back, like the, the episode that we did with Troy Williams Jr. just a couple of weeks ago, story time episode, he got to tell a story about the fridge, what they used to call that car. And this was years later. And the, he got the opportunity to drive the fridge and Scotty was like, whoa, 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 you're going to run it in foot brake, like wide open? Like, man, I don't, I don't know that I'd run it. We ain't ever run it wide open. Like it was not a car built to do what he was doing in it. And he was doing it at a, at a, at a high level. So I don't know if I had to pick, it'd be that, but I think you make a really solid argument for any of the three. I'll go ahead and go to the, the second pick in the draft. Jed, I'll, I'll let you go second because I feel like I've, I've spent more time in this. We'll do it snake style. So I'll take three and four, but I'll let you take number two, which is actually number four, the way Kevin did it. But we'll, we'll throw that out. Well, and, and I don't know if I need to stick with, with the way Kevin started it, but I, there's three that, that I want to talk about on this list because right. any of our listeners and certainly those of us who participate in the show on a regular basis know I am could be labeled as a homer. Um, there's a chance that you could call me a homer. Um, S-E-C. <laughs> uh, and somebody's already highlighted it. It might have been you, Luke. I'm not sure. I see, I see it coming here. But uh, I started racing in uh, July of 1984. Um, and in 84, you know, I didn't know that there was another track besides Lasser Mountain Dragway right here in, in Birmingham. But uh, on occasion, David Rampey would show up. And what I did know was they said, hey, this guy is big time, and he lives here in Alabama, lives in, in uh, Piedmont, and um, he's probably the best in the world. And he would come to our track and obviously win his share. He'd get beat a little bit, but that got me interested in him. So go here to 1989 where he was the Supergas World Champ and the overall Moroso Champion, which in – that might have been 89, Luke, might have been the start of a, a run, a Moroso run that was, had the best of the best, the best in the world, or who was considered the best in the world would go there and race. So Rampy's 89 season stands out. He's from Alabama. Um, he won the Supergas World Championship and the Moroso overall championship. So to me, in that era, that was super impressive still would be today but that one stands out then you got jeff strickland's 2016 season yes jeff's from alabama yes you just see a trend here (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i mean we've proven in the all-state challenge we're the best in the world but anyway has alabama ever lost an all-state challenge no we have not we've won every all-state challenge there's ever been and uh <laughs> and every virtual all-state challenge there's ever been so uh we're, we're a pretty impressive team here but anyway you talked about scotty's double world championship which in 1994 obviously that was very impressive i will say although we know scotty is one of if not the best sportsman racer to ever live he did it in super comp and super gas which are similar categories with similar strategies different dial-ins different style cars Strickland did it in top dragster and stock. 
which have no similarities whatsoever except the cars go in a straight line. They're both on a full tree. Yeah, I guess a good point. But one's <laughs> letting go on the top and one's letting go on the bottom. So detail, I guess detail. that is the similarity that you could say. But Strick <laughs> did that in two tough categories where you have heads up possibility in stock, although he was super fast. I think he could ride to the staging lanes with his chest poked out, didn't have to worry about it. But still, lots of variables and things that could get in the way of world championship runs. And, you know, he had two championships in those categories in, again, a time where I think cars and, and drivers are way better than they've ever been. Scotty, although it doesn't diminish his accomplishments, actually just proves the point. He was just better than everybody. Scotty was just better than you when you staged by him, especially in those times. And, and even that lasted a long, long time. Strick is a great racer, but I don't think he's just that much better than everybody he staged against. It was just performance and focus. So I think that season is incredible especially considering the differences in those categories, which we talked about at length here on the, the podcast. And then lastly, I mean, how do you let basically the only true foot break season on our list go without being discussed? And that is none other than 2017 nasty Nick Hastings. One, the biggest of the big footbrake races that you, that he could go to, the fall footbrake frenzy. He won at the Southern Footbrake Challenge. He won at the World Footbrake Challenge. He was the utility driver at the All-State Challenge, which <laughs> Alabama won, but he still did a really good job there. Um, Runnered up the $250,000 SFG Powerball. And there's probably lots of 5,000 and under races that he won that we're not even accounting for. 2017, Nick Hastings swapping feet was easily the best foot break season in the history of the sport. And I don't know that that's ever going to be duplicated. Again, those are the type of things that I think about when I think about great seasons. You know, is it likely to happen again? Have we seen it? We haven't seen nothing like it and probably won't again. Very impressive to me. So Sticking with uh, what Mr. McKenna did to start his list, those three to me stand out as unbelievable seasons that definitely are worth a mention. Okay, okay. The uh, so I'm coming into this with what I thought was the the third and fourth overall pick. It's the seventh and eighth. That's cool. Um, yeah. But the good news is I came into this with a with a big board, and my top two picks aren't aren't gone, which is ridiculous when you think that's the depth of what we're looking at here. Like, I, I think we literally have 30 seasons that you could make an argument for being the best season ever. Right. So sure. I'm going to go with the, the third and fourth pick here with my top two. And there are two names that have been mentioned previously and no surprise, these two names, um, but these are, are different seasons. So for my, my number three pick, my, my first draft pick, I'm going to go with Peter Biondo but rather than that dominant stock eliminator 2005 season, I'm going to go back five years to the 2000 season where Peter was the super stock world champion uh, in, a, in a relatively tight race down the stretch. I think he, he triumphed by a, a little over two rounds. It was a 700 plus point season. In addition to winning 
the NHRA Superstock crown that year, Peter Biondo won a $50,000 bracket race at Cecil County, Maryland, and followed it up like five weeks later by winning a $50,000 bracket race in Atco, New Jersey. And keep in mind, this was in 2000. So the million was a thing, right? It was, it was the standalone event. And at that time, I think the millennium million's going on too, right? So there are two quote unquote millions on the, on the, the calendar. And beyond, when you got below that, the next highest paying race was a 50 grander. And at that time, I may be forgetting one, but there was a 50 at Cecil, which I think only happened that one time. The 50 at Atco, which was a, an annual thing. The 50 in Stanton, Michigan. I think that was it. It wasn't too long after that that Galen started putting on the 50 in Bell Rose and then turned to Memphis. But in 2000, I think there were three 50 granders on the schedule. Mm. Peter won two of them. <laughs> the same year that he won a Superstock World Championship letting go on the bottom. Like bracket racing wasn't his focus. And he just, oh, ho, hum, won the two biggest races in his part of the country. What was more impressive yet was both of those 50 granders are three-day weekends, the 50 being Saturday. At not one of those, but both, he won the 10 grander Friday night. He won the 10 at Cecil, won the 50, backed it up by winning the 10 at Atco, and then winning the 50. And oh, by the way, won the Superstock World Championship the same year. So that one stands out to me. Yeah. Um, and then for my four pick, again, imagine this, right? If you, we, we debated this at nauseum, and, and I, to me, it's like 1A and 1B if you talk about the best drivers of all time, in my opinion. It's Scotty and Peter. And so I'll go a little bit off the grid because with Scotty, you could pick any one of 10 seasons and say that was unbelievable. Right. And, and be, and have a fair argument. I don't think that this one jumps off the page to most. And again, I'm a little bit prisoner of the moment because this is when I kind of really got into it, really started traveling. And I got to see a lot of this firsthand. It was just so freaking dominating. 2001, Scotty Richardson, and I believe that season his focus was not much on the NHRA Tour. It's when he first had the ride in stuff. That year, the, the biggest two accomplishments he had were actually final round losses, as odd as that sounds. But in that time, like I mentioned earlier, there's two marquee events. You've got the, the George Howard Million, right, the staple. And for I was only it only happened like three or four years. Steve Irwood put on a, a million at Rockingham. They called it the Millennium Million. In two thousand and one, Scotty was in both of those final rounds. He didn't win either of them, but he was in the final of the million at Rockingham. He was in the final of the million at Montgomery. And I don't have the details from the season, but it was the typical late nineties, well, nineties through two thousand Scotty Richardson. Like it felt like he won every week, and the one that just stands out for me and it rivals John Labusa Jr.'s spring fling domination of 2010 as the most impressive weekend that I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. That millennium million at Rockingham, that was Memorial Day weekend, 2001. And I may be, history may have jaded this some, and I, I tried to reach out to Scotty, but I wasn't able to get in touch with him to confirm this. But if my memory serves, that weekend started with a Thursday afternoon gambler's race for like a dragster chassis. Scotty won. Friday, 20 grander. Scotty won. Saturday, million. Scotty had his two dragsters still in the million in the semifinal round with four cars remaining. It was him, him, Anthony Bertozzi, and Jonathan Clay. Scotty had to run himself on the ladder at four and then lost to Jonathan Clay in the final. 
And it was like that pissed him off because then he came back Sunday in the last 20 grander and ran himself in the final. Like the most mm. ridiculous four days I've ever seen. And like I say, outside of those two weekends, I don't have much data on that year, but I'll just assume that since he was Scotty Richardson, he won a lot outside of those. <laughs> that was sticks out to me. So I'll take Peter 2000, Scotty 2001. So to this point, we have handpicked eight seasons. Um, Kevin started off Scotty Richardson in 94, Peter Biondo 2005, Edmund Richardson in 92. Jed, you followed that up with Jeff Strickland's 2016 campaign. David Rampey from the Wayback Machine, 1989, and Nick Hastings, 2017. Uh, we circle back snake draft style, so it's back to you, Jed. Where do you want to go next? Uh, I would say next, and it's just probably so recent that it's just dominating my thought process, but uh, Kenny Underwood, 2018. You and I were doing the podcast at that time. Um, you know, I was going to a lot of the big races. You were going to a lot of them. Watching Kenny do it in person, when I didn't get to see him in person, we were on the podcast and we were heavy results at the time. And it was every single show. I felt like we were talking about something that Kenny did. Obviously had the, the million dollar race win in there, which was his second uh, 50K winner at Byron. And it was just Luke 10s and 20s and whatever else, shootouts and everything else they were having that year, all year long, doing it either in a dragster or in the Firebird. Uh, just a very dominant season in what is the most competitive racing that that a racer can go do on the, the stages that he was doing it on. So I'm going to take 2018 Kenny Underwood. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that one lasted this long just because that was like a three or four month stretch that was ridiculous. And if you're just going off of race winnings income, I don't think there's another year that touches that. But that's more a result of the way that purses have escalated in recent years than it is Underwood's domination. And I think, too, it, like it stands out in this day and age with so much parity to go on a heater like he went on at that level at those paying races is pretty ridiculous. All right, okay, Mac, back to you. All right, um, I am gonna hit the Wayback Machine uh, because I was there for a good part of it. And, but, but before I do, you know, it, a lot of this stuff, late 70s, early to mid 80s, it's a shame that there aren't more accurate records. I mean, there's some stuff out there, but I'm sure we're missing a lot of really dominant seasons from that era. You know, whether it was guys that won 8, 10, 12 weeks in a row at their home track. You know, there were a handful of guys that had the ability to do that and then would show up at the big money stuff. Uh, but the one season that really stands out, you know, in the mid-80s, George Rupert was the man for, for most of the decade, if not longer. 1987, we know that he went to, well, it was Central Michigan Dragway back then. Uh, now the Mid-Michigan Motorplex won their 20 grander. He also won the warm up race of three grand. So he basically swept the weekend there. Uh, won another big event, uh, I believe Rockingham. Um, goes down to Orlando for the winter series, which back then it was four days in Orlando, the Moroso five day, and then five more at Bradenton. So you had nine events. George wins the first two in Orlando. So, so, so that's, you know, and, and that is, again, the absolute best competition the sport had to offer at the time. 
Um, so to, to do all that. And then, uh, by the way, he also happened to win uh, race super gas that year. He won the division one championship, finished number two in the world, running a pro tree. Um, and he also, something that I was a, a part of it. And I can tell this story now because I think the statute of limitations is up, but he went to the 10 tuck race and I happened to be there. He was there alone. I had nothing to do. So I helped him out for the weekend. And that was back when we didn't have crossover delay boxes. You needed a guy with a calculator to figure the spot. Well, George gets to the final against Danny Nelson. And I've only told this story a couple of times because um, it is a little embarrassing, but George gets to the final. I bust out the calculator, figured the dial. After George does his burnout, he's pretty much got the first light lit. I decide to run the numbers again, and I realize that I misread his dial, and I have him off by a 10. And as George is lighting the first light, I realize I just cost this guy $10,000 because there's no way he's going to win. Uh, thankfully, Danny Nelson goes red for him. Danny, Danny was in the slower car. He was in his Camaro. George is... 601 on the tree or 101 in today's oh. comes back and says man i thought i hit it harder than that i can't believe i was that late and i didn't have the heart to tell him that no, no george you were 001 <laughs> you just it was, it was the idiot with the calculator that almost cost you the money <laughs> but that's that's my story about that year and, and, um, so you never came clean on it not to George, you know, I, 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 th 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 there's a couple of people I've told, I told it to Danny Nelson last year and he laughed. He remembered the race and maybe a few other people, but uh, th that was not something I wanted to get into right then and there. Cause uh, you don't, you don't really know uh, how someone might react. And um, yeah. obviously my career path did not make me a crew chief. So, so thankfully I never had to make such an egregious error again, but, um, but yeah, that, that, that is the story of, of George's, uh, season then and and you know again i'm sure it's a deal where he won some other stuff he was amazing back then he, he figured out some things long before other people did and you know that was in a, in a time when it was really possible to dominate because you um had maybe done a little more research or had endeavored to make your car a little better good stuff rupert 87 all right so the way the snake draft works Kevin, you get two picks you can get you can take another one if you want it okay um the, the other one that I was there for, and again, I'm sure he won a lot of other stuff, but Kenny Underwood, 1991, I know, you know, I, I, I do have a fair amount of research on the Barroso ladies. I have, you know, pretty much every winner up until at least the recent years. And, and you know, again, from, from the beginning, that race was, was the, you know, World Series, Super Bowl, Daytona 500, all rolled into one. You know, you were not any kind of a bracket racer if you weren't there and, and didn't, you know, do something significant. Well, in 1990, Kenny is the overall champion. He comes back as a defending champ in 1991. And what does he do? Wins the first two days. And that happened to be the 10th anniversary. Uh, Dick Moroso decided to do something special. And he got these beautiful, huge, six-foot-tall grandfather clocks. He had six of them made, one for each day's winner, one for the overall champion. Well, Kenny wins the first two. He's got a monstrous points lead, wins the overall championship in a landslide. So he's obviously defended his championship. So he back-to-back -back Moroso champ. And then just for grins, he comes back in 92 and wins the first day again. So, so that, I mean, that, that's a stretch that, you know, against the best of the best, um, you just you slap them around like a bunch of little kids. It was amazing. So that's what, 
four wins in seven days of Moroso spread over three different seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And as uh, Jim Harrington told him, uh, says he was going to have a bumper sticker made, he who dies with the most clocks wins. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking I'd like to get my hands on one of those clocks. Uh, Ken, Kenny probably still has them somewhere. I'm sure. Wouldn't surprise me. I'm sure. How do, would you get, how, how do you get rid of something like that? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So if we're going pick by pick, that was uh, Kevin with the six and seven overall pick. Jed, it is back to you for number eight. Where are you going? My number eight, I, I was torn between a couple of seasons. I, I wasn't sure they'd still be on the board because, to be quite honest with you, I had no idea how a snake draft worked, but I knew I'd figure it out as the show went because you're going to tell me. <laughs> um, but I'm going to have to go West May 2015, Luke. It was um, – I mean, some really big stages that he was on. I'm looking in the notes here. 24 finals, 15 wins, eight runner-ups. Um, that only comes up to 23 finals. But, you know, hey, maybe there was one that didn't happen. Well, they, hey, it rained and they split even. Yeah, must have been it. But um, I, don't, I don't know if I should give the number, the dollars actually. Eh, what the heck, it was five years ago. He won 115 grand after splits. Um obviously very impressive that there was a, still a lot of big money races, but that was, um, you know, ultimate 64s and other uh, big races that were on, you know, like the 50 grand at Michigan. I don't remember how he performed, but it seemed like every, every week you were, that was heavy results on drag You were reading, you know, he does it again. West May did this. West May did that. I think it was a incredible season for him. And what made it most impressive was he did it in the same door car that he drives today. And at the time, I believe West was going 690s, maybe even 70s, something like that. Lots of tire, not lots of motor or gear. Just kind of doing it his way and was uh, – a very intimidating racer when he entered the staging lanes and nobody wanted to be paired with this guy still don't for that matter. But during that run in 2015, just unbelievable performance and a season that, um, that I think is very deserving of being on the list and, and of high honor. So putting him in my number eight spot. All right, so I get nine and ten, and yeah, like it's we get so you know I talked about being numb to it a little bit. I think the last, I guess this happens every year, but we've focused on it more the last what four years now that we've been doing the podcast, three four years, and it seems yeah. like at the end of the season, while particularly last year, like there's a lot of people that had good seasons, but one stands out. Last year it was Matt Dadis. The year prior it was Underwood. The year prior it was Hastings. Two years before that it was uh, it was Wes. And I think when you look back on the season, you know, those of us that really follow this closely, when you say 2015 big dollar bracket season, like you just think of West May, you know, it's one that stands out and it, it definitely won for the ages. So, all right. So I got back to back picks here. So at this point there's eight picks. It's really been like 14 picks, but I I came into this with a big board of 10 and my number five is still available. So I'm going to start there. Um, I'm going to go Troy Williams Jr., 1998. And Troy, a lot like Scotty, Peter, Edmund, you could pick a handful of different seasons 
and say, you know, of his seasons and say, that's one of the best of all times. Right. And admittedly, because I, I had him on the, the story time portion of the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Troy told me, he's like, that really wasn't my best year in terms of number of races won. Like I not even, I didn't feel like I was as good a driver that year as I was in other years, but the, the marquee accomplishments that season, obviously million dollar race win. It was just the third annual million. It was the only million. It was not only the the richest race of the time, like it wasn't close. I think the next biggest race made 50 grand. Troy got 201,000 for winning the million in Huntsville that year. In that same season, he also won the Moroso five-day championship, something he's done at least twice. That was the first time. Um, didn't win a day at Moroso. I think his, his, uh, his highest finish that year was a runner-up to Don Strickland, but won the Moroso uh, overall championship by four-plus rounds and had the highest points total ever to that point, um, eclipsing one of the Kenny Underwood marks um, that, that Kevin had talked about, probably that 91 season. So when you just put those two together, like literally the two biggest bracket races on the map in 1998, the million – and the Moroso five day, and you win them both in the same year. That's that's up there for me. So I'll take yeah. Troy uh, at the nine seed, and then let's see. Yeah, you know, if, if if you had asked anyone, any bracket racer in the country, what 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 would be your priority? Those two events in 1998, hands down, there's not any person that would have said, "I want to win the million. I want to win the overall at Moroso." Yeah, sure, no question. And then the backup, I. This is a, a really broad one. And if we, if we were doing this like the most dominant decade, this applies. And that to, this, to that point, I don't even have a year because Anthony Bertozzi, there, there's three people in history that have won multiple NHRA championships in one year, right? We've talked about all of them. Justin Lamb's season hasn't been picked yet, but Strick, Scotty Richardson, Justin Lamb. There's probably a few more that have done it on the IHRA side. Anthony Bertozzi won two world championships in one year on five different occasions. <laughs> 1996, 1997, 1999, 2000. Not sure what the hell happened in 98. I'm pretty sure he won the modified championship in 98, just didn't win Superstar. <laughs> and then again, almost a decade later in 2007. Um, so I don't even have a year to pick. Just any one of those. It was modified in Superstock four years out of five. He won not one, but both world championships. And then in 2007, when the world modified was, was no longer a thing on the ITRI championship in stock and Superstock. And I just think, you know, when we talked about the, the when we had our, our, our list, highly debated list of the, the best sportsman drivers of all time, we both had Anthony in our top 10. And if it's possible, he might've been overrated. I mean, I mean, underrated. Yes in that because I don't know, you don't know how to, to stack because the IHRA deal was different than the NHRA deal. Sure. Right. And there was, it was an advantage to go to all of the races and Anthony's running in modified, which I don't know when you look back on, on modified eliminator, essentially that was IHRA's version of competition eliminator, but it, it ran like stock and super stock. So Anthony's in an open wheel dragster, and as long as he qualifies under the index, it's a bracket race. You know, you could have a heads up just like stock and super stop. And he was unbeatable. I mean, just completely dominant for a decade. And you look back and go like, well, he was a big fish in a little pond. Maybe, or maybe he was just that 
freaking good. You know, like how do you oh, weigh yeah. that? And I just think if IHRA wasn't a thing, if he dedicated that effort, those resources to NHRA in those times, I don't know that he's a 17-time world champion. But I think it's fair to say in addition to the, the one NHRA title that he got, a little bit later in his career and, you know, maybe I don't want to say past his prime, but I feel like priorities have changed a lot for Anthony. Like racing is just not the thing that it used to be for him. Right. If during that time he's fully focused NHRA, like does he win two? Does he win five? Does he win 10? I don't know. Like I did. I, and I just think if it's three, like three NHRA world championships, in addition to the, the one that he got, I think we look at his career differently. And I think that's really, really reasonable when you look back on, on what he did. Like, so I don't, I don't have a season there. I'll, I'll just, let's just say for the sake of argument, I'll take 96 because it's the first time he did it to win two world championships in one year. Yeah. Or just any season Anthony's ever had should qualify. Yeah. That pretty much qualifies. Right. <laughs> so back to you, Jed, that's your, uh, what is that? The 10th overall pick. Yeah. So and I think you got to roll out here. So if you want to take two picks to close it out, Kevin and I will, will, will finish this up all right so as i look down the list you know i as you can see i'm i'm very recent on my picks and it's because my mind is pretty simple and i tend to focus on the things that i've either watched happen with my eyes uh, i've been a victim of what's happened in my car somewhere along those lines uh, i'm i'm kind of tied to all of these that i've picked so if I'm getting two picks, I will pick Scotty Richardson, 2003. Uh, Scotty won the B&M World Championship in, uh, in Super Pro. Uh, I happened to win it that year on the bottom in foot break. So I got an up-close view of what Scotty was accomplishing every time we got on that stage. I mean, every time. I feel like he won a race at every event. It was the most ridiculous thing I had seen. That was really when I first started getting out a little bit and traveling. Um, and, you know, damn, I, I hate to say this, but quite frankly, I, did, I didn't think anybody was as good as I was on the bottom. I mean, I felt like I was going to win every race I went to at the time. You know, that was 17 years ago, so I was – pretty cocky. I'm, I've been humbled uh, about 8,000 times since then. But at that time, I thought, I'm as good as there is. And I watched this guy do things I couldn't dream about doing in a race car. And it was so impressive. Not only did he win the B&M World Championship, he won everywhere he went. 2003 was a year that I think if we could get to him and, and find some results, maybe that he's got stored away, I think we would see a majorly impressive season, but I was keeping up with him pretty well. And he trickled over into the bottom at those races too, just to have something to fill his time. And he would get in pretty much anything that was available and was super competitive. So I learned firsthand with my own eyes then in 2003, just how talented Scotty was. And he truly was better than everybody else. So that season to me stands out. And then I will have to go back to Matt Dadis last year, 2019. Matt Dadis obviously owned the vehicle that Gage Birch uh, won the uh, SFG 500 in that, or 525 that. I don't know if that's worthy of putting him on the list of great seasons, but he 
followed that up with his own runner up at the fall fling 500 doing the driving um he was a halloween classic winner the grand champion there which bucket list especially for people from his area um won gambler's race there he won uh the no box $7,500 race at the uh, No Box Bonanza at Norwalk, uh, 40K semifinal at uh, Palm Beach, New Year's National is a 20K semifinal. So, and there was others. I, I think he won uh, or maybe run it up a 10 grander at Disco Dean's uh, race that he had there at Kilcare. Um, just it seemed like there was like a seven or eight week stretch there where he was in a big money final every week seemed that way and luke he was doing it on the top and the bottom and he was doing it in multiple vehicles a, a guy that we all know from watching him over the years he's talented but i think he really put himself in the eye of uh, of the, the bracket race fans and viewers and the people that go to the races with him as somebody that can get it done in pretty much anything on any stage so that to me was a very impressive season no matt well so i got to enjoy that with him through text messaging and seeing him at the racetrack so again being the homer that i am and somebody that sticks to what he's seen with his own eyes and participated in that gets my number 12 spot good picks you can't argue against any of these they're all so deserving um jed i assume you got to run yeah, unfortunately, I do. Uh, I would, I could probably stretch a few more minutes out of this, Luke, but I think this is going to take a little longer than that. So yeah, no, we're um, good. I apologize. Uh, I'm sure people are tired of hearing me gas bag about uh, people from Alabama and things I've seen anyway. So <laughs> probably for the best, it's for the health of the show. Good stuff, man. Stay safe and uh, appreciate you coming on. Take care. Right. Nice chatting with you, see you, Jeb. Likewise, Kevin. See you guys. All right. All right, Kevin, why don't we do it's, – it's your turn for two. Let's just do two more picks overall, and then I think everything on this list deserves a mention. Maybe we'll just close this up sure. with some mentions for the ones that we don't select. Okay. Um, you know, b back to your point uh, that you made about Anthony a few minutes ago. You've got a similar situation with Dan Fletcher, a guy that has won so much, so many times. How do you pick one? And you really can't. I mean, he had a year – 2009, he won nine events – um, had a stretch where in the comp car he was pretty. He didn't win the comp championship, but I don't nine think he went events, to. Right? Yeah, not nine national events. Don't even think he went to many points meets. Um, but uh, you know, we had a couple on our list here. Um, you know, the 1994 was the year he won, swept the Western Swing, and that kind of, you know, that that is the start of of the legend of Dan Fletcher. That that was ground zero for him quitting his job and becoming a pro. But you also have 1997, where he wins five national events, two points meets, the Superstock World Championship, and then just for grins, he goes down to Moroso at the end of the year, wins a day of the five-day, um, which, you know, for anyone, if there were any detractors that looked at him and thought, well, okay, this guy does good in class racing, he's pretty good against the Superstock guys, but how does he hold up against top-notch bracket racers? There's your answer. Um, so, so that you know, was it the most win lights, the most money? Probably not. But if you're looking to build your brand and, and some clout, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Um, if you want a second pick, a guy who he's an underrated bracket racer because he's done so much other stuff, including five world championships in pro stock is Jed Coughlin. And, and you see that now 
every now and then he'll kind of pop out, show up at a bracket race, you know, such as the SFG 500 last year, and he darn near won the thing, having not bracket raced in about, what, a year and a half? Um, he just retains that that sort of ability. Um, but his his the season that, that kind of his introduction, 1992, he wins the Super Gas World Championship. And, and I don't think he ran much, maybe a few bracket races. But he was only 22 years old. Um, but he, it was one of the more dominant seasons. He won four points meets. He won the U.S. Nationals. Late rounds in his other finishes um, scored a – boatload of points that year um yeah i mean 7100 points under the old system um you know our, our buddy kyle stiple was second with 6600 so you know that would be you know the equivalent of about five six rounds behind uh a truly dominant performance yeah that, that man i look at what's left here on the board and i don't want to leave any of them off like they well, all and, and, and before before we wrap up I, I i did want one that didn't make our list but it's worth mentioning um, Steve Cohen first ever super comp yes. championship. You know, the fact that he won everything he, you know, that was a 7,400 point, which under today's system would be about 740. Oof, uh, it was wrapped. It was wrapped up 87, the first year of a national championship for super comp. And because he was from division two, he won early one often and literally had it mathematically locked. He went to union Grove, Wisconsin division three race, the end of July won it. And that was it, over and done with. One in July. Yeah, yeah. So he, he could pretty much hit the beach for the rest of the year, but he didn't. He went out to Pomona for the banquet, and he was runner-up uh, at Pomona. So that, that's if you're looking for honorable mentions. Like again, it didn't make our list, but didn't want to let it go without uh, being noted. And you were you had mentioned something in the comments too, like the the point system was different than you actually had to to claim or waive your races afterwards, like if I was understanding his season was actually even better than that lofty points total. No, it, it was, they, they had back in the eighties, they had this kind of confusing system. You could pre and post event wave some events. Um, and you know, it, it was a real chess game to know, you know, if you didn't feel confident in your car, uh, I, I believe you could do it after qualifying. It was, it had to be done before first round, the pre event ones. You could just say, I don't want to claim this race. Well, inevitably you'd have a guy pre-event wave it and then go on and go to the final and then the points, you know, and that, that was a thing that kind of like the comp guys like David Nickens, I think that probably cost him a championship. And um, they finally just wanted to go to a far less confusing system of let's take your best three of six, five of eight. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it was the, the old system. And then you know, obviously they didn't go to the, the more simple point system until 95 where 7,000 points became 700. Um, basically they just took the decimal point off the end. Right. All right. So I technically have two picks remaining. I still have three on my big board. So I'm going to cheat it a little bit. I'm, I'm going to go with all of them. Cause I don't think I can stack them. I'm going to, all right. So this would be like, uh, what are we at? 15 overall. So 15, 16, 17, right. I'm going to go Mike Fuquay and the, the the obvious year here would be 1996. That's the year that Mike won two IHRA World Championships, 890 and, and top dragster. I'm actually going to – and he I, – I text back and forth with Mike about this just to make sure that I had some facts right. 
he labels that as his best season ever. And again, I may be a little bit prisoner to what I saw with my own eyes. I'm actually going to select Mike's 2001 season as the year that sticks out to me. Um, that year, he won the IHRA Quick Rod World Championship. Um, best at Edmund Richardson. It was actually second that year. And kind of an interesting side note, it was Edmund's best shot ever to get one on the IHRA side, um, to the best of my recollection. In addition to that, in addition to winning the 890 World Championship in IHRA, that same season, Mike won the B&M Series National Championship. And that was the one year that the B&M Series was as nationwide as it ever got. It was actually broken into four divisions, and mm -hmm. then the four champions ran off at the Million Dollar Race in Atlanta. Mike dominated his division, I think had it sewn up fairly early in the season, and then did win the runoff to, to claim the title of national champion. And that runoff, by the way, was for a, a complete turnkey. I think it was a Mullis Dragster at the time. Um, so that one really sticks out to me, just not only the, the accolades, but how dominant a season that was from start to finish in largely two different disciplines. Like now I think that's more specialized than ever. Like you just don't see a lot of people have success on the big dollar bracket level and the NHRA level. Now it feels like we've gotten even more diversified and specialized. Um, but it wasn't all that common then. Like you go back to the nineties and like Scotty and Edmund won everything everywhere. Right. And Correct. now it's, it's, it's gotten a little bit more diverse and specialized. That was a time where it wasn't that common to go pro treat to brackets, eighth mile to quarter mile, and just win on both sides. And Mike was doing that with a great deal of regularity. So I'll put him in there. Um, if you take this next one, like the totality of the season, it probably pales in comparison to most of what we've talked about to this point. But there's never been anybody else that won $2 million races in <laughs> one year. And Jeff Verde did. So Verde's yeah. 2016 is one that will people, I think, will talk about that 50 years from now, right? And I, and I think it's got to make the list. So I'll put Verde on there uh, just for that accomplishment. And then if I can sneak and cheat and get a third, we've mentioned every driver in NHRA, and I think the majority in IHRA that won two championships in one year with the exception of Justin Lamb. Justin Lamb did it Stock Superstar yes. 2017. And I think if you're going to make this list of 20 or whatever, that's a year that's got to be on it. For sure. All right. So have you got the sheet up in front of you, Kevin? I, I do. Okay. So let's just kind of roll through these. We'll go back and forth just because I feel like it's worth mentioning all the seasons that we had on here that we didn't necessarily draft because like I said, we had 30 or so. And I think mm -hmm. you could probably make the argument for any of them as being among the best seasons ever. So what we did not mention, um, I'll take these first two just cause I had some research on them. Jason mm -hmm. Lynch, 2006, kind of similar to what we talked about or what I talked about in, uh, in Beyondo's 2000 season, 2006 where big dollar bracket races weren't what they were today. That was, the, you had the million, and then you had a handful of 50 granders. That season, Jason won a 50 grander at Farmington, and then won the 50 grander at Stanton, Michigan. Uh, beat Jed Coughlin Jr. in the final in, uh, in Stanton, actually. And mm -hmm. just to do that in one season, pretty memorable stuff. And obviously, he won several other big dollar bracket races along the way, but those two stand out, and something that's rarely been done before or since. Um, and then in researching this, I was actually trying to dig up some more data on John LaBoost Jr.'s 2010 season because we all know about the spring fling exploits. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. And that was one of the handful of years that within this is bracketracing.com, we did the power rankings, which was this monumental undertaking. Mm -hmm. so I don't do it anymore, but <laughs> keeping up with you know, basically who won everything worth winning, whether it was national or divisional events in either sanctioning body or um, big dollar bracket races. I think we capped it at five grand or more. And Gary's season, he, he won the power rankings that season. And just like you go through the accomplishments. And granted, if we had this type of reference, a lot of the seasons that we've talked about would look like this. But when you put just in totality what he won that year, I'll just list it off here. Started the year with back-to-back $20,000 victories at uh, Montgomery Motorsports Park. Three months later, he and uh, Dwayne Roberts ran the final of a twenty-five grander at Bristol where they split the money and both advance, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Won a 10 grander at the Ultimate 64, runner-up at the Jags US Open, which was one of the marquee races in that day. Um, when won a race for a dragster event at the Great American Race in uh, Belrose. Won a 10 grander at ATCO uh, as part of the ATCO Superbucks weekend. Runner-up in a 30 grander at the Million. That's the year that it was at Muncie. Won uh, the Division Two bracket finals off the bottom, <laughs> right? Everything else that he won that year was off right, the top. Right. Like it's just ridiculous when you put all of that together. And like I say, not not that one marquee standout win, which Gary's obviously had plenty of those over his over the course of his career. Not one to kind of extenuate that particular season. But my God, you put all that together, what a year! Yeah, for sure. All right, I'll throw it over to you. We'll go down the list here. Okay. Um... You know, you, you had the LaBoost 2010. Um, I don't know beyond what he did at the Spring Fling. You know, again, I know that was kind of the prime of his career, which well, he's still in the prime. But sure. um, that was really amazing. You know, again, you're up against top-level competition, and you just go in there. And, you know, I, I know people get on rolls, and, and, but there's something really to, to be said for, for doing that three times. Um, three days yeah it, it you know win back to back yeah you see that happen but it's that, that's some some incredible stuff there just to fill in a couple of the blanks there because again that was power rankings days mm -hmm. so obviously that was the bulk of his season was was the spring fling but that year he also won two days at the Bradenton five day won a 10 mm -hmm. grander in Montgomery and a trio of five granders at Co New Media and uh, Steel Alabama so it's not like he took the rest of the year off <laughs> right no no uh, and then i know we had don little on there you know again it, it, it's a little bit of a niche but you know we'd never seen anybody win five points meets in a year until last year when allison doll did it but you know to, to be out there out west stock eliminator took to go unbeaten in a whole year in stock eliminator um that that, that was uh you know again a pretty amazing feat yeah, no question. Shout out to, uh, to Tommy Phillips there. That was one of his six second place finishes, the one, the one year that he chased Stock Eliminator. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I think we went through both of the few quick ones. The only other one on the list here is a name that we've already mentioned, um, Jed Coughlin Jr. You uh -huh. pulled out his 1992 his Supergas World Championship season. Again, I don't know that this was a dominating season from start to finish necessarily, but in 1997, Jeg won NHRA national events in four different categories one year. Um, that was the transition season. The last of those four national wins was his first pro stock win. Next right. season when he began. In, in, in his second start. Right. You know? 
and prior to that had had accumulated wins and i believe it was super gas super stock and competition eliminator so just correct correct those four like you couldn't you jed talked about the the divergence of jeff strickland's top dragster to stock eliminator you think about the forget the 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 resources to go and compete in those four categories but the actual driving skill set to win in competition eliminator and super stock which i guess are fairly similar right bottom ball sure. uh, super gas on pro tree with trains break and then pro stock where you basically hit the tree five times while oh by the way navigating the course at sub seven seconds even at that time right like uh-huh. pretty ridiculous accomplishment and i'm sure in saying that like we've listed off 30 unbelievable seasons i'm sure there's some that we missed uh, like sure. you said before but uh, and it's just fun to kind of go down this road and pick apart some of the greatest seasons in sportsman drag racing history no and, and this is important this is all stuff that should be documented it's good to do this kind of research because you know you, you do come up with some really good nugget that you know you might not have unearthed Prior to this, you know, it's funny when I was researching Rupert's 87 season, I came across a really informative article. And when I got done with it, I saw that it was actually one that you'd written for uh, the Drag Race Results website. And uh, it, it was a pretty good, uh, uh, pretty good accounting of George's career. Yeah, those Legends articles, we only did about a half a dozen of those, but those were neat. Those were a lot of fun to write. Yeah, it, it would be nice to see someone um, revive that for, yeah. Some sportsman racing website, it, it would be a, it would be a nice get. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Those were a lot of fun. You know, and then back back to Jag's '97 season. You look at, you know, he and, and and that was a year I believe he came. You know, he almost won at least one of the championships, comp or super stock. Um, and then you know he, he gets in a pro stock car and wins his second start. And you look at how difficult that is. You know, look at how long it took guys like Bo Butner to, to figure out how to win. And yeah, I just got in there and it was like, turn on the light switch. Um, you know, and obviously he never stopped winning. Right, right. Yeah, it was definitely a precursor of things to come. It's amazing when you look back, because I feel like, and granted, I mean, he's dabbled in, in the sportsman categories ever since. But I, I feel like his reign in, in sportsman racing lasted longer than it did. Like his first championships, or his, his sportsman championships was 92. And then that 97 transition year, like he did a lot of winning in six seasons there, you know? Yes. Yes. I, I still be, remember him as a sportsman racer. Sure. And it's going to be interesting to see how much sportsman racing he does now that he'll be done with pro stock after this and, and what kind of damage he can do if he decides to pull out a dragster and, and hit all the big races. Yeah, no doubt. Cause he's the, the, year there where he didn't he take a hiatus from pro stock yeah he, and, and he, he did and did quite well yeah. right yep and, and and one more thing before we, we wrap this up i know you're not big on tooting your own horn but i know you had a couple of very dominant seasons including a million dollar race and things which one would you say is your most successful yeah, see, I don't think that I had a, a single calendar year that, that belongs in this conversation. Like, I, if you take a five-year stretch, like my 13 through 17, you know, with a couple world championships, and that would include the million and, and some that, that long super comp win streak was in there, but those never came together in one year. You know what I mean? So if I had to, sure. if I had to take a season, like, it, it would probably honestly be one of, like, the – 
the off the radar seasons in the late 2000s where I was just bracket racing because there were years in there where I would I think I won like 20 plus races but they were mostly you know thousand dollar to win or five granders that nobody knew about you know but and I was racing three four nights a week like one of those I would probably count as my personal like most I don't know dominance the word but the season that you felt best about but it's one that remember outside of that, that crew that I ran with you know and you know the sad thing about this is not a sad thing, but when you win a five thousand dollar race or you win the million, the only difference is the size of the check. It's not like the competition was any easier where you were. Maybe a couple less rounds, but you still pretty much have to split the atom every time you go down the track. Yeah, I agree with that. Now today more than ever, right? Yes. So that's the thing about the you know an exercise like this. There are hundreds of unbelievable seasons that were at a slightly uh, i don't want to say lower level but not as in the limelight that we would never talk about that are in their own way probably equally impressive sure i mean i remember just just when you know when i was a kid central florida you know you had tim butler who would literally bring a dragster in a streetcar every friday at sunshine every saturday at bradenton and he doubled more times than i could count and, right. and, and, would, and would win just track championship you know he would double track champion year after year after year and then also go and win you know he won some of the big stuff um yeah you, you look you know if you're going back 70s and 80s it was those kind of seasons that have kind of been lost in the shuffle a little bit mm-hmm. yeah and you even you just spurred a memory with me there was a, a season and really it was like a month stretch but it was a season-long accomplishment uh rick bayer i don't even remember the year it had to be mid 2000s and I'd have to go back. I, I think I wrote a, a column on it at the time for maybe APD, but he had won the, the IHRA runoff, you know, for the, the ET World Championship at the time, which at the time was this ridiculous, like $100,000 prize package. I think it was right. a, a new dragster, a trip to Aruba, you know, all kind of stuff. <laughs> and within the month of winning that, like went on this tear where I think he won the no box nationals at Norwalk. Maybe he won the, the, the grand championship runoff at Norwalk too. It was some ridiculous stretch where basically a, a, a low budget, little known bottom ball racer who now is, you know, one of the, the most well-known names in, in that venue, um, like literally won everything you could win and, and profited, you know, six figures in a, in a month's time. It was some ridiculous thing. So that's sure. another one that probably I didn't do a bunch of research on for this, but deserves mention. Mm-hmm. So, all right, good stuff, Kevin. Thank you for uh, for coming on here, sharing your evening with us. I uh, I hope that you continue to navigate through this uh, this unprecedented situation as well as uh, as could be expected. And uh, stay well, stay safe, my friend. Yeah, yeah. For for the short term, I got plenty of time on my hands. So uh, if you want to do this again soon, I'm <laughs> available and more than willing. <laughs> it's an easy sell at this. Point. It's a very easy sell. <laughs> good stuff. I appreciate you, Kevin. Take care, buddy. All right, same to you. Take care, Luke. See ya. And it's all that we know. It's the way you lie. Give all that we got. Right at a time. Do whatever we got. As we get closer to racing season, you'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a tune-up or replacement. Keep BTE in mind. For all of your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, whatever you need, BTE does it all. Check them out at bteracing.com or find them on Facebook.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.